Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. We are back for another season and today with me, I've got an awesome guest and a really good friend of mine, Fraser Jack, and he is the founder of the Cyber Collective Australia. So we talk about all things cybersecurity and how as advisors, we hold a lot of sensitive information about our clients. So it is really important that we take this seriously. So we have a good chat about cybersecurity, some really quick, easy wins and the ways in which you need to think about it. I know you're going to get his value out of this episode, so I hope you enjoy the listen. Fraser, thank you so much for joining me today. So to start off, help us understand what is the Cyber Collective and why did you start it? Ah, thank you for having me, Phil Thompson. Uh, The Cyber Collective is essentially a group of different products and services that are available to the market and all the little things that I've put together to think, how can we help financial advisors solve the issue of all the many different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and bring them all into one place and go, actually, you know what, if I just come here, I can get it all done and I don't have to worry about researching it all and going to the drawing board and looking under rocks for stuff and working out how they all work and understanding all the acronyms and all of the other stuff that comes along with um, financial, uh, comes along with cybersecurity for financial advisors. So um, yeah, I'm just looking at helping financial professionals, whether it be financial advisors or mortgage brokers or accountants or, or, um, or anybody in that space to be able to say, uh, protect their client data. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things as a, as a small business owner that I am, it's, it's one of those areas that you're like, I know this is important and it is difficult to find information and the most important thing for me is I don't know what I don't know. I, I'm not an expert in this area. I've got no idea what the heck I'm doing. So help us understand, like, give us like an overview of cybersecurity. Is it just, you know, making sure that you've got like an antivirus on your computer? Is it is it more than that? Give us a kind of an overview of what is what is cybersecurity. Yeah, well, I guess I guess if we go back in time to the olden days when uh, you and I first started, uh, Phil, people would have paper files in a filing cabinet and they would lock them away, and you were told that you had to lock them in a filing cabinet and lock the lock the office and all these sort of things. Yeah. And and you know, consumers or clients give you such important information. From you know their credit card tax tax file information, whether it be superannuation accounts, um, you know personal statement, all their medical information, and you would secure and look after that data like it was your client. You would protect it, you know, with uh, everything you could. And then we and then we went and put everything on the, on the interweb uh, and said, you know what, it's got to be safe out there, right? Surely nothing bad could happen on the internet. And, uh, and we put it in the cloud and we just made this big, big fat assumption that said, surely wherever it's stored is trustworthy and they can protect it. Um, and, you know, that's kind of not the case. And, and so when we look into um, what cybersecurity is, it's, it's way more than just a, an antivirus. It's, you know, staff um, understanding what they need to do and how they protect staff and, and being, being, you know, at the forefront of that, you know, understanding the awareness. Um, it's the devices that we have, like the antivirus, 
It's the connection to the internet. It's the way that we send information like using email. Uh, it's all the pieces around uh, the outside of it and, and that really present us a stack of vulnerabilities for advisors to lose client data. And, and so it's about looking at all those different areas and putting something in place in all those areas. Yeah, so in the old days, you could very easily say, well, I know my data, my client data hasn't been stolen because my office wasn't broken into and, and the filing cabinet wasn't broken into. But these days, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, how do we get hacked? I, like as a, as a non-security expert um, and a Joe Blow, like what are the kind of different ways that people can access our client data? Um, yeah, so... So there's there's so many different ways, and that's the problem, I guess. Um, it's like trying to um, you know plug a hole, plug holes in a net. There's always a, there's always another hole, um, but it's about just going, you know. And and let's face it, there's, there's nothing that's ever one hundred percent secure, right? And even if you put your stuff in a filing cabinet in the old days, someone could have still broken in, right? There's still a way in, um, but. It just makes it really, really, really difficult, and so the sophistication level of the hacker has to get higher and higher and higher to be able to get him. But some of the really uh, easy ways that people are getting in, and, and the probably the the big vulnerabilities is. Um, through routers, so people working from home, um, getting in, you know, like if you get onto a public Wi-Fi or onto a Wi-Fi system where people can get onto the same router as you, they can often get into your computer, which is an issue. Um, people getting in through email um, and just there's so many different variations of hacks around for phishing exercises where people are trying to get in um, in that bulk. People are trying to get in through what they call um, spear phishing, which is targeted phishing campaigns directed at you or your staff or your clients um, and, and getting in through email, getting in to understand passwords and trying to use those passwords or finding out because everybody at the moment, they don't realise that they've got a, a file on the dark web with a whole lot of the passwords that have been stolen off some site that you put in a password for because you wanted to download um, something or, or use a service years ago. And so there's often you know, you often have a file on the dark web with your username, your old email address and some passwords that you use, maybe your kid's name and the date of birth or something, um, which is what everyone used to do before strong passwords came in. <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, there's all this information out there and people can get in once they've got your password. And if they can get into your CRM, they can get into all of your client file details. And then that is like goldmine information on the dark web for people wanting to take that information um, and be able to use that to, you know, um, AML, CTF type, um, any, you know, money laundering or setting up accounts in people's names and being able to um, essentially steal their identity or um, they can actually steal or get involved in a transaction that happens. Um, like if, if a lot of people have statements of advice on an email where they can, we can be searched and go, oh, you're rolling your super over on that day or that month. We can jump into that conversation and try and manipulate it so that we get the rollover at the time. Yeah, right. So, so what I'm hearing is we need to go back to pen and paper. As, as a business, I need my fi- trusty filing cabinet. I just actually sold my filing cabinet on, or gave it away on, on Facebook Marketplace. So I need to find a few more and I need to send my clients paper documents for them to mail them back into me. Is that, is that what I'm That's hearing? That's 100% not what you're hearing. Um, the, okay. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is uh, we are in the cloud now. It's, uh, it's a little bit too late to go back, I think, but what we do need to do is, is add that security that we had um, in the physical world, uh, but just in the cloud. That's right. Yeah. So in in reality, I'm never going to go back to pen and paper. My clients w- would not work with me. The efficiencies that that it builds um, for us just 
he, it's just impractical to go back to, to the old pen and paper and clients would, I wouldn't have any clients. They would all hate me for it. So, you know, what, you know, in terms of the, the big risk for financial planning business, because we're talking to financial planners and, and, you know, it would be across similar things with, with accountants, with brokers. But in, in reality, financial planners probably have the most in-depth information. There's not really any bit of financial or medical information we, sh- you know, we don't know about the clients. So help, help me understand, like, what are the big, kind of deficiencies in most advice practices that you're seeing and saying, hey, here are some like kind of easy wins. Yeah, I guess I guess the if, if we follow the trail of how the internet works and how it, re, it interacts with our business, um, we kind of start with that concept of the internet coming in through a router. And that router will then, how we connect through that router is really, really important. So a lot of the time if you're working from home or you're working, working from a small business, you really want to be able to understand the the passwords and, and and those routers tend to come with passwords that are reasonably you know like oh my it's it's Telstra and the passwords admin you know like it's just really mm. standard stuff and so if somebody can get into your Wi-Fi or start using your Wi-Fi they can get into your router and, and that's an issue so you treat that internet that router as like the driveway um, or the street that leads up to your house or business right. And then, um, you know, imagine we have a letterbox out the front of our house, which most of us do. Um, we call that our, our, our mailbox or our email. Um, and then that, uh, that's a scenario where anybody can come and stick anything they want in that letterbox, right? And we have our, our email is designed um, to be easily opened or, sorry, easily sent to and um, easily working. So whenever we set up IT, we go, we've got to make it work. It's got to work. It's the first thing. But unfortunately, when it comes to cybersecurity, it's like going, no, we actually need to lock that down and stop making it work so easily um, for people to just come and stick anything they want in our letterbox. We also have um, a scenario where in real life we would clear that letterbox, we'd take all the letters out of it, we'd throw the junk mail away and we would open our letters and, and take them inside and, and file them. Whereas our email um, is so is such a like a place at the moment where everyone stores all their stuff. So they go, oh, great, we're going to get all that client data and information into our email and we'll just open it and we'll leave it in there. Kind of like leaving it out the front of your house in the letterbox for anybody to come along and have a look in there. So, email is is a really unsecure environment. It's it's meant for data in transit, which is sending data, not necessarily data at rest, is where we store data. So, getting getting all of those uh, that client files and everything out of your inboxes and into your CRM is, is you know behind um, you know multi-factor authentication type thing is 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 a really important thing for advisors to think about don't leave it in the in the email for someone to come and have a little snoop around in and then what we do is we email is kind of also the front gateway or the door to your to your business and and your data so it's the the that generally is where people will send phishing information or, or clicks to download a, a, a virus or a malware um, or, or create or the start of a scam. And um, the the second half of that, I guess, is the human beings that are in your business, them opening the door um, and or, you know, opening the door and letting people in. And so, um, you know, understanding that the, the, the way internet works how it gets into your business. Uh, email is generally, you know, part of that front door process and the people letting them in. If you can lock sort of those three down, um, then, you know, you're preventing stuff coming in. And also, and, and your antivirus that you mentioned before is about protecting the actual hardware that is in there and making sure that somebody is getting in that they're stopped when they're inside. And so with, with regards to email, I, I'm going to 
assume that 99% of advice businesses are either using Microsoft or Google to, to facilitate our emails. Like how much can we rely on them to, in terms of you know, restricting access to that letterbox? Well, we've got two of the biggest companies in the, in the world who do this stuff day in, day out that, that are looking after our letterbox. Can we trust them to, to help us you know, prevent any data breaches with our email specifically? Yeah, I guess, I guess the answer to that is yes. However, what they're doing is they're protecting the letterbox. And if you think of email as, um, okay, you've registered a, a, a domain, um, you've got, um, uh, let's say, uh, you know, uh, philthompson.com, and you've got, you've got a, you've, you've registered this domain, right? And so you've registered this piece of, uh, land on the internet, if you like, and you, you now own that piece of land. And you can set an email up on essentially a web machine, a browser in the cloud of that email. So what you're doing is you're creating a zone where emails come to. So philthompson.com, the emails comes to that. You then, you then mirror that uh, information off into your Outlook. Right. And so what you've got is you've got a copy that you work with, which is in Outlook or Google. You then have another copy of it on, on the, in the, on the interweb, let's call it, uh, which is on your philthompson.com domain and it's sitting online. And so people can get into that version. And that's what they're looking to get into. Not necessarily your Outlook or your Gmail version, which is on your machine, but the mirror image yeah. of it. And so it's about going, how do we actually stop that from saving or keeping information? And if we delete it off Outlook, is it deleting it off this you know, web, web browser section as well? Um, or the web, uh, the, the DNS, um, is it still there? And is it vulnerable in that zone versus the, 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 the zone that you have on your computer and the one that you deal with every day? So the stuff that you're looking at and dealing with is not necessarily the stuff, uh, exactly the, you know, what, what's in your email. Yeah, because Microsoft and Google are just pulling that information. Yeah. And we're, we're authorizing them to pull that information. And so back to this letterbox, how do we do that in the letterbox analogy? So we've got one letterbox that's, you know, sky.com.au. Yep, out the, out the front of your house. Yep. Yeah, and then Microsoft is setting one next to it and just saying, well, when something gets delivered there, we'll just copy that letter and put it into our our letterbox yeah. next to so it. Instead of, is that how it works? Pretty, if we're kind of much. following that analogy. Yeah. So you might have your Outlook or your or your or your Gmail is inside your house, um, but then out the front of your house is the is the one that uh, everything gets delivered to. Technically, the internet delivers it to the one at the front gate, uh, and yep. you're either clearing it and emptying it, or you're just taking a copy of it, right? And you want to make sure yep. that you're clearing and emptying it. Yeah, so, so Google and Microsoft got the big security guards, but they're inside and not not outside. Yep. That we need to get our own security guards out there. Yep. All right, I've got a really weird image in my head, um, but but I'm loving it. I'm loving this analogy. The way that I work with uh, advisors, I, sen- I essentially like to turn that letterbox outside into a registered postbox, right? So only yep. only emails with you know signed authentications, understanding who they are, who sent it, and it wasn't um, it hasn't been tampered with along the way, um, can get into the in, uh, into the letterbox, and, and going out the other way, it goes as registered post, so it's got signatures on it. That makes a lot of sense. And for someone who is not a very smart guy like myself, uh, it's very helpful having someone kind of articulate it that way. Cause, you know, I've, I've got a, a good understand, or good enough understanding of the internet and the risks and, and all this stuff, but kind of really just painting that picture. Um, and as I said before, we don't know what we don't know. This is not our domain expertise, but we've got super sensitive info for our clients that, that we need to be thinking about this. So, what are some ways in which we can, like, you know, we just talked about that letterbox is just one avenue to secure that. Like, 
what are ways in which we can secure that? Um, so the, 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 the letterbox, the, what we do is, as I said before, we turn it into a registered postbox. We add authentication keys and signatures onto all the email um, emails, which helps actually if you're sending mail out um, as well, because it goes, it, you know, it goes through the internet as a trusted source and is more likely to get to get delivered to inboxes. Um, so it's just putting uh, putting a few bits of the truth onto your email in and around it. So it says, um, you know, you're not hiding who it's coming from. You're you, you're saying that this is where we send emails from. You've got anti-spoof policies on your website that shows that this is where we send emails from and this is authenticated. Um, so I'll just give you another and a little example of email. Um, the Right now, you could probably set up a MailChimp account, right? And you could probably make that MailChimp account look like it's coming from philthompson.com, right? And it's not. It's not coming from the real philthompson.com. It's coming from MailChimp, right? But it's pretending it's coming from Phil. And so you can send that out and people receive that and go, oh, Phil sent me an email, um, albeit it's from your campaign, right? Right now, anybody could really set up a MailChimp app from philthompson.com and make it look like it's coming from philthompson.com, right? And so the problem with that is I could be sending it to your clients or your staff asking them to do stuff, um, but it's not really coming from you. It's called, called a spoof email. It's somebody pretending that they're you, but it's not being you. And so what, one of the other things that we do is we say you need to kind of lock all that down and make sure that you only um, that you say where it comes from. So if it's not coming from you, there is a there is a some truth out there online that says no, this is where it comes from. It only comes from here, uh, and we all use authentications and we lock other stuff down. So um, if you were to if you were to have a whole lot of other registered domains as well, um, you might have seven or eight different domains: your old business name, your new business name, dot com, dot com, dot au, dot you know, dot net, whatever it might have, um, then you also, you kind of need to, to add that level of security around all those other domains as well to make sure that nobody's using those um, to, you know, to pretend to be you. Okay. All right. So now I'm, I'm properly worried. <laughs> <laughs> you got me going here. I'm thinking, bloody heck, I've got clients' personal medical information, tax file numbers, super statements, you know, what don't we have as advisors? Like we fortunately, we don't do any wealth so we're not like setting up cash management accounts and stuff where the advisor can access that money. And so like should I be freaking out? Like should I be like just bury my head in the sand like like so many people do? Like what what do we do? Because yeah. I've never had a I've never had an attack. So well it hasn't happened to me. So, you know, Fraser's just out here trying to flog his wares and and just freak me out to to sell me a product or sell me a service. Yeah. What how should we be thinking about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So it, it it can be definitely can be overwhelming, right? But I mean it's the same as it's the same as when you're talking to a client about you know, life insurance or, you know, one of those things. Um, it's it's hard to believe it could happen to me, but you know, why, why am I paying for all this income protection? You know, I'm fine, you know, nothing. But then, then you, when you've done some claims, you realize, oh, well, this is really valuable because at claim time, it means so much. And so it's the same thing. You know, there's, there's plenty of horror stories out there. Um, and, you know, there's been some court cases and reasons why. Uh, and, you know, the stats are, the stats are pointing towards um, financial advisors being 300 times more likely to be attacked. Um, you know, the chance, apparently about 68% of businesses have had some form of attack at some point. Um, you know, over the next five years, you're looking at the odds being so high in financial services for people being 
attacked and um, and the risks are really high, right? You know, imagine if you have to tell all your clients that you lost lost their data um, and their medical records, and um, and you have to go and try and make good on all that. Then that you know the the trust level falls through the floor. They don't trust you anymore. You've got to report to um, to ASIC and to the to the industry and and the profession itself. And then so your reputation's spent and your business valuation drops because you don't have any clients left. Oh, and then you might get a fine as well, um, which which will be you know the the court of the court of public opinion will have or client opinion would have taken taken place first, and then you end up with uh, you know some fines on the back of it because technically you did the wrong thing by you know uh, by the legislation. Yeah, and it's just like talking to, as you said, talking to clients about insurance. I say to clients all the time that I mean this is expensive, and it's and I hope for you that it's a complete and utter waste of money. And it's the same thing about cybersecurity stuff. Let's hope it's a waste of money because um, it meant that nothing bad happened. Or even if we don't know something, the, the beauty of like cybersecurity and protecting it is like, well, something bad could have happened, but it's been protected already. Um, and so we don't need, unlike insurance, we don't need to have a catastrophic event to get paid out. We can just have something that's ongoing protection. I, I can just have my security guards at, at my letterbox or, uh, you know, framework around that so i'm convinced let's do this how do we do it what's the process um so the i guess the first thing to me the big process is to you know put it like so it's very similar to the, the 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 planning process right or the advice process have a plan in place yeah, implement it and then be able to review and look back to say that it's working or um we've, we've got this plan in place and we've, we're implementing it and we can prove that we've got a plan in place so um a lot of the times, you know, uh, well, licensees at the moment are all running around because they, um, you know, need to provide some sort of an audit or some evaluation system of what um, what practices are at. So a lot of um, advisors and licensees are asking them to, to do an audit. Um, and my thoughts on that are you should probably, you know, do the work first and then um, and then provide an audit to your licensee that looks nice and, um, you know, you've got everything in place. Uh, I can't imagine many small businesses wanting to do an audit first and then point out all the holes and then uh, and, and look silly. So um, my, my process is around the idea of, you know, we've got a, a plan that we've sort of written for people to say, here's a plan for small business that want to protect their, their client data for financial professionals. Um, and then if, if people can go and take that um, word word template and go and alter it and change it and do whatever they want for their own business and and, and make their make their own um, plan out of it and then uh, and then we sort of help businesses implement it and put it in place and um you know budget wise there's you know I think I think that's part of the mind space too understanding that you know maybe one percent of your income needs to go towards this and one and percent of your time um uh, and and not just your time. Every single person in your practice kind of needs to be across why we do this because you know one of the um, things we uh, you know with the staff is it slows them down, right? It actually you know doing multi-factor authentication on stuff. It's painful. It's annoying as a as a human being. We go, oh, I didn't have to do this before. Why should I have to do it now? And so there is a there is a little bit of um, sp- headspace and training for client for staff to go. Oh yeah, we yeah we do it for a good reason, right? We do it because our clients mean a lot to us, and we don't want to lose their data. It's a safety thing, and you know it's like speeding around a corner, and there's a sign that says you know go this speed. Um, it's because it's for safety, right? People, you know, people might injure themselves if they go off the cliff. It's same as same as cybersecurity. We do this multi-factor. It's painful because um, if somebody's trying to attack our client data, then it's painful for them too, right? Because they've got to try and work around how they're going to get that second authentication process off you to try and get into your client data. So, you know, hopefully at that point they go, it's too hard, we'll go to the next uh, low-hanging fruit. 
Yeah, and and you meant you touched on cost, and and literally before our our recording, I was responding to a client who, before we're doing an insurance proposal, they're like, "How much is it going to cost?" And I was like, "Well, no idea. Don't know your income. Don't know your age. Don't know your occupation. Don't know you know whether you're a smoker, non-smoker. All these things. And it's basically, I don't want to tell you it's going to be." you know, five grand a year when it could be two grand. I don't want to tell you it's two grand if it's going to be five grand. So obviously, especially, you know, it's about my risk advisor. We understand insurance and, and how it works, but insurance isn't the only thing in in the, the overall kind of cost. But do you have like any kind of guide or, or sense of like the actual, you know, monetary investment? Um, you, you threw out 1% of your revenue. Is that is that a good guide? Yeah, that's that's sort of where I've been seeing um, a lot of businesses landing. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, the small businesses, there's, you can go crazy on cyber stuff and you can get you know, um, testing done or vulnerability testing where you're trying to get someone to hack into your business and then change. But at the end of the day, that's sort of for more larger businesses or, 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 but what, but, but what I do say is there's, there's some certain aspects that you really need to, to look at. Um, some of them are systems and processes and they'll be free because you've already got these systems in place, right? One is, you know, having a, um, a strong password manager. Maybe you, you pay for that. I, I would suggest you do a few, a few bucks a month for that. Um, that you make sure that that password manager, um, they all have, um, dashboards on them that tell you what you know whether you're red, green, or, or amber, um, and you can go back and try and get that into the green. You can do all that with your staff, right, at relatively low cost. Um, you can implement multi-factor authentication and long password processes and all these sort of things in your business without spending a dime um, or an additional dime, I should say, to what you're already spending for mm. those software platforms. Um, and then there's a few things um, that you kind of need to add if, uh, with a little bit of money. And one is um, training for your staff. So time, that's time and effort and ongoing awareness training. And uh, when I say that, I mean, talking about don't just do it all like a CPD thing at the end of the day, at the end of the year and try and get your points in. It should be over the year and, and, and drip fed and so that people have that ongoing awareness of cyber. And um, cost-wise, you know, I'm going to throw a number out there, about 15 bucks a staff member, right, per, per month. So yeah. uh, not, not crazy. Um, you should have a really high quality endpoint protection uh, on 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 your computers and so a really high quality one will set you back about again 12 to 15 bucks a month right on each computer per per, per, per computer per device and so you're not again not the end of the world but certainly worth and I'm talking about a high and an enterprise grade one so one that the big businesses use not just for small business or for for home right you should be uh, able to um I mean, insurance, but what we're talking about insurance, insurance has been one of those things where cyber insurance has come to become its own product. It used to be a bit of a rider to PI and there used to be a bit of a rider to, you know, directors or office liability, management liability or other products, other types of insurance within your business. But now those riders have gone and they're also excluded and cyber is also excluded. So cyber has become a, a, a genuine standalone piece of the jigsaw puzzle when it comes to insurance. And and that's just because it's it's a risk that otherwise was kind of like a small risk we can put as a rider, but now it's a much more substantial risk to businesses. So insurance companies aren't going to just tack it onto other policies because it is a standalone risk that needs to be assessed and measured and priced accordingly. Yeah, 100%. And, and also, you you know, we all know what uh, underwriting is like. You know, there's about eight different pr- insurers on the market and about one of them 
would look at financial advisors, right? Because everyone else just goes, too high risk, you know, small business, not enough security, low-hanging fruit, the data is so sensitive, you know, you don't have to lose one client's data and you could get a, you know, a million-dollar claim because they have, a, you know, uh, somebody extorted them out of a million-dollar rollover, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. like such a high risk. So... They, insurance companies go, yeah, I don't think we're going to bother with financial advice. We'll just exclude them. They're like a high risk. They're like a, uh, they're like a, what's a high risk in, in, in an in income protection? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a concreter. Underground, underground miner I'm or an something. underground yeah. concreter laborer, concreting laborer, Phil. Can you insure me? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I'll spend all day on a forklift and, and digging holes. Um, and I got a bad back. Um, it's the, it's like that, right? Underwriters go, sorry, we, uh, that's not really our appetite for risk. Um, but what I've found is if you put all the security in place and then you can prove it by presenting some sort of an audit or process that ticks all the boxes of the legislation, ticks all the boxes of what doing, I'm doing a good job here with securing it, uh, client data, then then all of a sudden um, the market opens up to going, oh, you actually, if, if that's the case, then we'll take you. Not we'll give you a cheaper discount or a price, but in that case, we're looking at taking you. So yeah, we'll, we'll offer you cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of that that goes on in, in, the, in the market as well. Insurers still want, to, um, still want to grow their books of business and so they're willing to take on people, but they want to make sure that their security is in place um, before they do. Yeah. And so what's the overall process? So what does that actually look like if, if we come to the Cyber Collective? Um, so we, we generally work with people um, and it takes sort of about two or three weeks to get everything in place, or the, albeit some of it's quite quick. And we, we have an implementation process which takes us around seven hours of, of work um, and it, that's over, over a two or three week period. And, and some of it's quite quick. We can set up um, staff training, we can set up uh, EDR, we can help you set up your uh, insurance, which you do directly with the insurer. EDR, what's EDR? Uh, EDR is Endpoint Detection. Response. It's the it's the high grade. High grade. Get out of these acronyms, know, Saucy. What know, are you doing? I should I should have. Financial planning. Yeah. There's way too many acronyms. Yeah. We don't need any more. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty in the cyber world as well. Um, and that is uh, and that is about the devices, protecting the devices, uh, doing the audit, um, getting the insurance in place, and uh, and setting up the email like it's a um, registered post box. And that's the that's the one that takes the longest. Essentially, that's the one that takes a few weeks to get because you do small changes um, to your domain, and then it resets overnight. And if few more small changes so it's uh, generally generally there's some quick wins to be had at the beginning and then um, and then the rest of the process is sort of uh, about getting people to the, then okay go in and teach your staff this and go in and, and, and tell your tell your clients I mean I, I think a big thing for advisors is not um, send stuff over email to get clients to use a secure portal if you can um, and to have a conversation or be able to have a conversation with your clients about why that's important. Why do, Why can't I just send it to you on email? We used to do that all the time. It's like, yeah, but you know what? We're just upping. We're continually upping our, you know, our resilience and cybersecurity around protecting clients' data. And we just, we just, this is a bit safer way to do it. So we use this way. You know, like this is our new process. And for advisors to be able to have conversations with existing clients around, this is the new process now. We and we're doing it because we think it's safer and we, we want to protect your data and we because we, we care. Not because the old way was unsafe, but because we just found a more a, a safer way, and and, was, and we prefer to do it that way because we we value the protection of your private information. Yeah, and I think a lot of advisors are looking at like offshoring stuff and and bringing different resources and and building out a lot of efficiency. So this is super relevant to a lot of advisors. Um, 
But if there are some advisors out there who are saying, well, I'm in an office, we do all paper-based, clients come to us, we fill out a form and we put it in our you know, filing cabinet and you know, we currently have a client portal and, and all of these things, is it still important for those businesses to look at you know, improving their cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, um, it's really important from you know you can still click on a, a virus um, from an ad on the on the internet you can still you can still have stuff downloaded you can still get um, uh, you know a, a malware attack where someone's you know shutting your computer down and, and what to do next you can still get an email campaign sent out to clients this is a horror story I heard the other day the email campaign um, sent to clients and you know uh, the, the the advisor running around trying to work out how how to how how it happened. Um, and then every second that goes past, more clients are clicking on this too good to be true offer that uh, you know never to be seen again. Invest now before you know you've, you've got only got to the end of the day before to get your money in. Um, type offer, uh, and every second counts. And I, I think I think I relate it a cyber attack to be a bit like a, a fire uh, in your business, right? So we have fire drills. We understand what to do if there's a fire drill, um, and I think all staff need to understand what to do if there's a cyber drill. Um, and if there's a, if there's a, you know, the alarms go off, we all need to know how to act and behave. Um, and so that, that, that's, that's part of the planning process to, to have a plan in place to know how to behave in the event that something goes wrong. And it's also the, the good thing about going through this exercise is our clients are going to get attacked. They're going to have cybersecurity issues. We've, we've had clients that, you know, their whole emails got hacked and emails came from them. They signed documents on our client's behalf. And before we actioned it, it was like, mm, okay, let's just give them a quick call um, before we do any of these actions. And it was a pretty standard action. It was, it was not out of the usual for these clients. It was pretty normal, but we just gave them a call and said, Oh, hey, just double checking. This is you. And they're like, no, nah, not at all. And, and it all looked very authentic. So even not even just protecting our client data on our end but being more educated in how this works and what it looks like and kind of smells like we can also help our clients protect their own personal data and and help them protect themselves against you know financial fraud as well yeah and you've got to think about this from both sides right so if a client's if clients email gets hacked which is you know happens a lot um, and you've asked them to send you docs via email, then, then their lawyer could turn around and go, well, that would never have happened if you hadn't have asked them to do it, you know, like all that sort of stuff. So uh, I think um, advisors need to be a little bit smarter around that going, you know, before that scenario happens where that you've asked the client to send you um, stuff over email and, you know, it's, it's standard practice across the board, right? Most people do that. Oh, can you send the details? Then we need a copy, sign copy, email it back to us. Um is you know that could be used against them, and all of a sudden it's oh well it's your fault because you asked them to do it. You know you you didn't have a secure system in place, and if you used a secure portal, that would never have happened. And so um, yeah, I, I'd suggest. And so I mean, just touching on that because one th- one thing I always push back on, like like I, in our business, we recommend people take insurance, and I am fundamentally don't believe in encouraging people to get insurance by selling it through fear. Like I, I don't want to sell fear to our clients because like, because oh, I'm very pragmatic and I, and I want my clients to think very pragmatically because when they get fearful about the cost, then well, we're not, we're not selling it via fear. And so then when we talk about the cost increases, we can go, well, 
realistically, do we need to cancel it or can we just dial back on the cover if cost is a, is a big impact? So, so I always kind of get a bit frustrated when we talk about all oh, the massive risks and there are risks and, you know, RO advice just got fined $750,000 for, you know, not taking this seriously enough. But I think, you know, I just, I just try and look at it like very pragmatically and going like, if I've done no work in the cyberspace, and the lawyer comes to me and says, well, why did you do this over email? And we've got no processes, no, you know, work in, you know, managing our cybersecurity and saying, well, this is a, a risk we're willing to take and, and this is the thought process around it and we're still going to collect information via email because we've done a risk assessment and we've done, a, you know, pros and cons. At least we've got something to stand on if a lawyer does come to us and says, well, why did you do this? And it's like, well, we, we did a risk assessment, blah, 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 blah. But if we've done nothing and not thought about it and gone, well, I don't know, that's the way we do it and that's the way we've always done it, then you're open up to a lot more kind of headaches in the future. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, there is a risk-based approach that the regulators take, which is, you know, have you have you assessed the risk and, and made a decision? Um, the, you know, you mentioned the RI case and they sort of got pinged for not taking action. Uh, was really the big the big thing there, um, you know, saying that you know, oh yeah, they're great. Um, you know, there was a few different things that they sort of got pinged for. One was then you know, they, you know, they, as they believe that the licensees should be responsible for you know making sure that um, you know systems and controls are in place uh, as part of the the licensing or the concept of of, of providing a financial services license, and so. Um, and then also, you know, not doing enough, you know, to, to turn around and go, yes, you knew the risk is, and was there. Uh, you said you were going to do something about it and then nothing happened. And so mm. that was, I think that was a bit of, bit of that, um, you know, the inaction that took place. And so bearing, that's why, you know, burying your head in the sand is probably you know, a very bad idea. Um, and, you know, you, well, if, you, if you're not doing, uh, if you, you should be just doing something, little steps towards, yeah. towards it all or, or taking bigger steps if, if you feel like you, you need to take bigger steps. And, yeah, and that's kind of, you know, my my only concern with listening or people listening to this thinking that, oh, if I get Fraser to come into my business, is he going to set up a bloody client portal that we're going to have to like change everything we do in our business? And I, and I you know, well, first of all, is that what you're going to do if you come into people's businesses? Uh, so client portals are interesting. Obviously, there's plenty around. Um, I, I don't do a client portal and I, I so think that um, there's, there's different ways of sharing files um, and some are more secure than others. So I just sort of point people towards the more secure uh, end of it. Um, generally, things like... Uh, you know the Microsoft Suite, you know SharePoint and OneDrive. If you're using Microsoft or Google Drive, um, your G Suite. If you're using, if you're a G Suite user, uh, and away from things like Dropbox and and those some um, some that are probably less frowned or more frowned upon now these days when it comes to cybersecurity. And that's it. And it's and yeah, I guess that's what I was kind of. My point was don't be afraid to go down this journey because it's not a, a matter of are you doing everything so wrong, you need to move away from it. And if and if that is the case, well well maybe you should. But but the likelihood is going, well, here's your risk today, here's how you can improve it, and here you go. Like go and do it or don't do it, but but at least you understand the risk. And similar to, you know, insurance advice, that's all we do. I tell people, here's the downfall. Uh, if something was to happen, here's the gap in cover. This is what I recommend you take out. Whether you do it or not is not my decision. I don't pay you premiums. I don't pay, you know, the fees for any cyber, well, as in for external parties. Fraser's not going to pay our fees. Um, he's he's going to charge us a fee, but at least it's about understanding that risk and going through that exercise at least once to go, these are the risks. Here's how to, 
you know, protect against it. And here's maybe three different options. Do you want to go crazy on your endpoint protection or do you want to, you know, a more kind of, you know, lower security option to, to save a bit of money? Either way is okay. But if you're not doing anything, well, maybe you should maybe at least move the needle up and then over time increase it and, and beef up your cybersecurity. Yeah, exactly right. And you, and you can choose sort of what you want to do and, and, and don't want to do. But, um, you know, we're there, there generally at some point comes a bit of a, an audit or, or an attestation of where you're up to and what you've done. So we, we had a plan, we put it in place and here's the proof. Um, and to be able to then use that proof of evidence if anybody asks you, you know, your PI insurers ask you, your licensee asks you, um, your, you know, your cyber insurance asks you, what have you got in place? You can go here is, you can, you can demonstrate what we've done or, you know, you can demonstrate that you've taken reasonable steps, um, is the, you know, in, in bunny ears, the reasonable steps are based mm. on, based on the size of your business and the level of data you hold. And I think, I think that's a really interesting one that, um, that's, uh, been a bit of a struggle with a lot of, the, the stuff that comes out from the government and, and, and cyber, cyber.gov.au is a great website for resources on that. Um, but it's all around the idea of, you know, small business, medium business, you know, larger business and not so much around the concept of, you know, well, you're a small business but you hold such really, really important data. So it's not like you just, you know, you're running a coffee shop and you might have a membership and you've got a few, you know, you might have a database of you who your clients that came in that month were and you might be able to send them rewards or something. You know, like you've got... It, you've, the, the data, it's, it's very different to a lot of other small businesses, advice businesses. Yeah. So this has been a great chat. I've got two questions to end this chat and then I'll ask you how people get in contact with you. But the first one is, when do you get time to do your emails? When do we get time? What do you mean? The, when do you? When do I? When does Fraser oh, yes. do your emails? Uh, I do my emails first thing in the morning and then uh, generally once in the afternoon. Yeah. Cool. And what's one interesting hobby that you have? Um, interesting hobbies. Uh, I, um, I don't get a lot of time for hobbies. I, I stay away from more things than I, than I join. So I stay away from all the, uh, the, 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 the media around TV and I just try and avoid all, mind you, I'm producing a lot of content, but, um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I love creating content. I guess that's my, uh, one of my things. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. Well, and and how do people get in contact with you? If they go listen to this, either freak out and say, I need to fix my issues like like I am, or if it's a matter of just going, you know what, we've done a little bit today, we've done it on our own, but maybe we just need a bit of assistance or just an audit. How do people get in touch with you? Thank you. Yeah, I guess I guess the, the cybercollective.com.au is, is the website and we've got a couple of things on there. We've got a, a page where people can get a, you know, a, an instant quote where they can go and check out what it might cost them. Um, we're, we're really transparent with the, the pricing and how all that works rather than, you know, contact us and we'll do you a deal. Uh, it's, all on, it's all online. People can actually then go and, and you know, put their purchase and, and get started. Um, we've also got a thing on there that's um, a little quiz which is around the uh, ASICs principles that they put out in 2017 around what they consider to be um, a cyber um, good cyber resilience and so people can go and if they wanted to do that quiz or they can contact us through the website or probably find me on LinkedIn at some point. Awesome Fraser, I really appreciate your time, thank you for taking the time and kind of you know walking me personally through what I should be doing. Fantastic, thanks Phil. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.